Hello, I'm Liv Bolton, and you're listening to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with our friends at Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports. Welcome back to the second episode of Series 4. I hope you're all doing okay in lockdown. I'm in London, and while there isn't tons of green space here, I've really been enjoying exploring the local nature and parks that I've never really noticed much before. In one park I came across, there was even a terrapin in the water, and there's loads of more hen chicks around at the moment. Small things, I know, but I find that focusing on the tiny, beautiful things in nature is really helping me right now. This fits with the theme of this episode. My guest today is Sophie Pavel. She's a 24-year-old zoologist, science communicator and environmental advocate. She's also the youth ambassador for the Wildlife Trusts. The outdoors for her is all about focusing on the wildlife trees and plants that are around her when she's outside. And through her work, she tries to encourage others to appreciate nature, hoping that therefore they'll want to protect it. How did she get here? It involved a 300-mile hike on the southwest coast path all around the coast of Cornwall. Sophie and I went for a walk before the lockdown on Woodbury Common in Devon, also known as the East Devon Pebblebed Heaths. You'll have heard the crunch of the pebblebed paths we walked along at the beginning of the episode. It's actually pretty difficult to say pebblebed paths. I wanted to ask Sophie about her huge hike why she chose an outdoors career in conservation and raising awareness about UK wildlife, why she thinks getting people outside is more important than ever. And I also wanted to ask her for tips for spotting and identifying the creatures around us. I hope you enjoy the podcast and Sophie's story. Listen out for her tips at the end of the episode, as well as the relaxing minute of sounds from nature recorded by some of you. So here's Sophie. Sophie, hello. Hello. Haven't we just got the most beautiful day? We are incredibly lucky after all the storms that have battered us. I can't believe we're actually sat in sunshine with non-gale force winds. I know, and it's absolutely blue sky. A little bit windy, you can hear, but um, stunning, stunning weather. And um, can you describe where we are? So, we are on a um, place called Woodbury Common, um, which is part of the East Devon Pebblebed Heaths. Um, It is unlike anywhere that you'll probably see in classic countryside. It almost, I call it my little Serengeti um, because it's, it looks sort of very arid. Um, There's lots of gorse, lots of heathland, coniferous, deciduous woodland, um, but you can see the sea at the bottom and it's just a bit glorious really. Oh, it's wonderful. And we're sat in a little dip, um, trying to avoid a little bit of the, the wind, but there's birds flying past us and yeah, the gorse right here. And you said that there might be some adders. Yes, so Woodbury Common is famous for its adders. They are probably starting to emerge as spring is around the corner. But yes, no, there's lots of things around here. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really special place. Well, if we see an adder, um, shout. Because... Will do. They are, they are poisonous, after all. Exactly, so. slightly scary. <laughs> it's fantastic to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank thank you, you so much for coming on it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Not at all. And I want to first of all start off in that you see the outdoors as very much a way of increasing awareness about wildlife and nature and helping protect it is that right 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do definitely agree and and uh, empathise with the mental health benefits that a lot of your other guests have, have spoken about in terms of time spent outside. Um, obviously, the environment is in a crisis. One in seven species in the UK are at risk of going extinct. And so I think what's really important is um, in order for us to uh, kind of wake up and care about the natural world, we need to love it first. And I think just for me, getting outside and seeing the things around me, whether it's a snail, whether it's a blue tit or whatever, feeling that affection for it, I think, is a really powerful way of ensuring longevity of care for the environment. So I just can't really imagine life without it. And mm. so that sort of gives me a sense of urgency and purpose to ensure that, you know, future generations can enjoy the same experiences. Could you describe what exactly you do for work then? So I'm a zoologist and a science communicator and I basically try and make everybody love the outdoors as much as me and love nature as much as me. So through that I uh, do a lot of writing um, for newspapers and magazines and things like that and I'm working on a, a proposal for a, a bigger piece of writing at the moment. Podcasts, public speaking, conferences, festivals, things like that. So it's very random but I feel very lucky that I get to work with amazing organisations and amazing environmental charities and universities and academics and things to try and sort of advocate the environment and nature in what I hope is a sort of approachable and fun way. It's definitely a journey. Each day is different. There are ups and downs uh, in the freelance world of, uh, you know, the insecurity of employment is a, is a big worry for me, being so young. Um, but then it's a really exciting time to be involved in that space because there's an awful lot of change going on and an awful lot of, um, you know, there's a big call to arms for people who perhaps are communicators and are scientists and um, outdoorsy people to kind of really shout for the environment at the moment. Mm. So I want to talk a bit about how you came to love the outdoors and the environment. So you say you grew up, well you grew up actually a little bit in the United States, is that right? Yes, yeah, in um, in the deep south in mm. Georgia. So I had a proper hillbilly accent up until I was about five. Um, and then we moved to Limpston in East Devon, which is just a couple of miles from here. And I grew up on the River X. Um, which running around that was our garden we lived in a very tiny damp apartment but it was quite literally on the river so um, going from sort of urban America to running around and negotiating the tide and rock pools and things was just a complete otherworldly experience and for us as kids me and my brother it was just incredible to be able to do that. Wow. Um, you studied zoology at uni. Yes. How did you come to decide that that's where you wanted your education to go? Well, I've always loved animals. I used to play vets when I was little and I just wanted to for the animals to be okay. Um, to be honest, I didn't really uh, know what I wanted to do. I've always been a little bit envious of people who seem to have a very set career path. And I think when I was at school, that was kind of the done thing is that you chose a vocational career um, and then that would set you up for life. But I never really felt a strong calling to anything in particular. So I just thought, oh, I'll just do something that I enjoy and that might give me a good, good prospects at the end. So I just thought, I love animals, I love the outdoors, I love understanding what connects an animal to its habitat. So zoology seemed like a no-brainer, really. You went and did a master's in science communication. Now, what was the aim behind that? Where did you want it to take you, do you think? 
It was an interesting one, really. I'd never... Science communication was a kind of concept that had never really been introduced to us at uni. And it's, only, it's really interesting to see how it's gained such momentum in the last couple of years as a really valuable um, sector um, and really important to communicate uh, the environmental situation. When I was, I was actually going on to do um, graduate vet school with my zoology degree and then in my work experience um, I was chatting to a couple of the clinicians after a surgery and um, they said you know what actually you need to seriously think hard about this because the world doesn't need more clinicians it needs more researchers and communicators and people communicating findings about uh, you know ticks and things to farmers and there are a shortage of jobs for people who come out of vet school with incredible skill sets when actually the the demand for jobs is in the research and communication sector. Okay. So I thought, oh, well, I actually, I quite like talking and I quite like writing and I'm not sure I want to go to university for another six years, actually. Um, so then I was on my laptop and then I discovered the Science Communication Masters at the University of the West of England. It was really vocational, which really appealed to me, very practical. And I saw it, I guess, and you had to have a science degree in order to get on it. Um, and I think I saw it as a huge sort of gateway and almost a support network for some, you know, zoology is very broad. So you kind of are left with broad skills and X, Y and Z, but not really sure how to apply them. So I think I saw it as a really inviting opportunity to really hone my skills in writing, speaking, um, group work, research, analytics, all that sort of stuff. It just seemed really exciting. Because your final project for your masters, and this is what I want to really talk about, is you did a massive hike, which was called Sophie's Wild Cornwall <laughs> in 2017. Yes. And this seems to be a turning point for you in, in your work in mm. the environment and in conservation and communication about, about nature. Yeah. Towards the end of the masters, we had to start thinking about our research project. I knew that I didn't want to do just a, a written research project, which was all that they, a lot of what they suggested we should do. And I knew I wanted to do something that was a bit more true to who I was. So the outdoors has always been very dear to me. Um, I've done a lot of hiking and expedition stuff as on family holidays and through school and things like that. And I was really, I think after so many years studying and academia I was just yearning for some adventure so I was like oh it was kind of a selfish reason really I was like how can I combine going on a huge hike with fulfilling the criteria to do a research project at a master's level so um, I was actually on a hike with my boyfriend um, on the coast path on in South Devon and we saw some seals and it was lovely and then I saw the sign for uh, Minehead and it was Southwest Coast Path Minehead 480 miles and I was like oh my gosh imagine if you had to get to Minehead and that's what you saw. How demoralising would that be? And then that sort of planted a seed. And then for the whole of the walk back to the car, I was like, what if I could actually do that? You know, what if you could actually plan a route and just do it and see some seals and maybe take some photos and just like try and merge it all into one? 300 miles you did. Yes. Uh, about, yeah, 22 days. Yes. And was it, so tell me, where was it from and to? So it was from uh, Bude to Plymouth. So all around Cornwall, the lovely leg of, of Cornwall, wow. yeah. What did you hope to achieve through that hike for this project? Or what was the, the research that you were going to do? Um, so the research question was how can we use social media better to communicate, to engage people with science and conservation? Mm. Um, importantly, British science and conservation, so British nature, 
doorstep wildlife, that kind of thing. I wanted to make it as relatable as possible so it didn't look like I was just going on a glorified gap year trek um, that people would just sort of say, oh, well, lucky her, you know, I'm here in an office. I wanted it to be something that might inspire people to get outside and see what's, what's around them. I think I've just spotted a whole row of cormorants just lining this rock here. Cormorants are, are a bit larger than shags actually, but like shags, cormorants like to dry out their wings after a dive because in neither species are the wings um, waterproof. Throughout this hike and every day, and I can't believe how much you had to juggle each day, um, not only were you hiking and carrying all your stuff, but you were doing um, YouTube videos, Instagram stories, Instagram posts, yeah. all about the hike to try and engage people with what you were seeing and nature yeah it was a i did have a bit of a mammoth to-do list um and thinking back i'm not really sure and when i go on a coast path walk now and i'm sort of out of breath at the top of the hill i'm like how did i why was i bothered to do that i mean i just don't understand and i still get messages a couple years on from people who are like oh i've just done the section from saint ives to zena like how the hell did you manage to film and then every night so i filmed during the day some bits more than others and then some days I was very lucky with wildlife some days I wasn't and then I'd get in get something to eat shower and then I was also walking through a heat wave which was unprecedented and difficult really really hard there's no shade or shelter on mm -hmm. the coast path so I was sort of exhausted from that and then shower eat and then spend an hour and a half to two hours on my phone oh hello okay, doggy dog. oh hello oh, doggy no, hello. oh another doggy <laughs> Oh, they're sweet. Well, Hello. Here we are. All right, you come to be on the recording as well, have you? On the outdoors fix. Lovely. <laughs> well done. Right on brand. <laughs> Bye, doggies. Bye. Have a lovely walk. <laughs> I just had my iPhone um, and I did all the editing on iMovie, the free editing app. Uh, so I'd sit in my bed every night for two hours editing and then putting out to the world on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and then just like dealing with the engagement that came through. So it was, I was sort of in a bit of a zone for three weeks. Yes. And weirdly, it wasn't the physical exhaustion that was the problem because I'd trained and I'm used to hiking. It was the mental exhaustion by the third week of just like engaging with hundreds of people. I wasn't expecting it to take off at all. You know, why would people want to follow a girl in their summer holiday for three weeks which is a long time to ask people to stay with you but for some reason I think it's something about the uh, walking on a path and the adventure and kind of that unknown and the drama that comes with it at any adventure people get sucked in because mm. they want to know what's going on they want to know how you're doing have you had a bad day but yeah, it was the mental exhaustion of trying to keep up with it all on my own mm. by the end that, um, yeah, it was it was crazy. A lot to deal with. And you were walking, what, about an average of, what, 20 miles or something? Um, it varied. So the north coast of Cornwall is super gnarly. Um, so my mileage those days were probably only about 12 to 15 miles. Okay. And then in the flatter, longer sections, I think the longest stretch I did was 26, which when having oh to stop God. and film yes. all the time as well, it was just, that was way, that was silly. That was, <laughs> that was too much. But I think if I didn't have to do all the filming, I could have smashed out. I, I could have done it in two weeks or 10 days, not three weeks, but um, it was essential to have the time to, you know, 
do the do the production. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the wildlife that you saw along the way and what you were pointing out to people. Um, well, it varied from kitty wakes, which are a kind of seagull, um, very hardy seabird, to snails, to slow worms, lots of butterflies. And what was amazing and a, a huge highlight for me was when I saw my first ever gannet. So, yes, I live near the coast here, but we don't tend to get many gannets here in Devon. They're more sort of Cornwall or wild west coast of Wales and Scotland and things like that. And I was just coming into Polseth. I'd had quite a tough day. I was feeling really tired, a bit grumpy, very hungry, as always. And I stopped on this headland um, that it was a, a sort of optional section off of the main path. So a lot of people just rounded the headland to go straight into Polseth. And I was like, no, come on, let's do it properly went up to the top the sea was wild it was a beautiful sunny day like this it was bright blue and there were obviously lots of fish below because there were razorbills guillemots kittiwakes blackback gulls and then this massive white bird just swoops in absolutely commanding the scene all the other birds are like oh my gosh get out of the way the gannets arrived and then i just completely lost it i think i was slightly delirious and sort of um maybe had a bit of sunstroke or something because I just went absolutely mad. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I just couldn't believe how big they are. They're absolutely enormous. I think they're, well, they are, they're Europe's largest seabird. Um, and then it just, they do this dive bombing behaviour when they're feeding where they just lock their wings and just bullet the, the waves at 60 miles an hour wow. and just smack it and you can just see the impact that it has and I was just transfixed it was incredible oh, and then wonderful. just one of those things where I was just like this is why I'm doing it yeah this is just to see this and lose my mind over seeing a gannet oh and you saw it. you saw lots of seals oh as yeah well, lots of seals yeah. yeah lots and lots of seals yeah they they were good company actually and so what was the response you said that you were engaging with loads of people on social media who were sort of following you and, and seeing your journey but what was the response to the wildlife? A lot of people didn't realise how diverse the wildlife is in Britain. So, you know, we get everything from lizards to seabirds, so loads of kestrels, which I wasn't expecting to see so close to the coast, buzzards. I had a lot of messages from people who said, I didn't realise that all of that was around us. I just yeah. clearly haven't been looking properly. Um, and I think that's such a key thing because when you're outside, it's such an amazing opportunity to sort of stop, come out of your head, and just have a have a have a wee look. Mm. <laughs> and I think the thing that I found is before I did that walk, I knew I loved animals, I knew I loved nature, but I hadn't really figured out how to what to do with that. But being on that walk, because I the only time I used my phone was to do these videos. Other than that, I was watching where I was putting my feet. Some sections I had to really concentrate and be safe. And so because you're sort of, that's your home for three weeks. And all I could hear were the seabirds, the waves, the weather, having all of that, all of those elements to deal with, it really sucks you into the environment. And so now, once you sort of start noticing that's a kestrel, the wind's coming from there now, you know, I need to go around that headland and all that. I know that there are seals down there, blah, 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 whatever it is. Now in my daily life, I'm just that much more attuned to what's around me, not from a knowledge point of view, but just from a habit. Mm. Um, and it's addictive. You know, once you see your first gannet, I wanted to see loads mm. more. Um, or when you know that the red admiral butterfly has migrated from North Africa to be here oh. and spend the spring and summer here, a tiny butterfly. Yes, yes. And once you kind of get your head around that and then it's there in front of you on the path, you're just like, 
Oh my gosh, yeah. you are amazing. How did you do that when I have to get in a car to get everywhere? <laughs> and so do you think that the people um, following you on social media, were they saying, oh, well, now the next time I'm going to go on a hike, I'm going to be much more... Um, aware of the wildlife around me is that did you get a sense of that yeah definitely I think I had a lot of people um, who are quite a lot of families I think actually who said oh we're, we're showing your films to our kids every night after oh, dinner fantastic. which I just found so weird but uh, you know it was very encouraging and, and it made me feel really kind of that I was doing something good and then you know other people saying oh we went out today and we saw um, a black back girl they're actually so much bigger than I thought. I thought all seagulls were the same, but actually now you mentioned that it's because the back of their wings are really, really black. Um, they're much bigger, That I know the difference now. And yeah, I think people just, um, I think because I was, it was really my element, just being out there, being buffeted by the wind. I just love it so much. As humans, we connect with people emotionally. And I think, that's really powerful if you can see that I mean it's natural if someone's smiling you smile if someone's sad you feel sad so if someone's having an amazing time outside and you can see that the outdoors is 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 the giver of that enjoyment they might be like oh well maybe I'll do that instead of going mm. to the gym at the weekend mm. maybe I'll go for a hike instead um, and then I'd get a message being like oh I did that I felt really good thank you so much for giving me the nudge oh, wonderful. Um, when you finish the hike I mean 300 miles as that is a task and a half just just to uh, to do that also in the massive heat wave that you had but um when you finished the hike and you started writing your research findings down um, mm. what was the what was the conclusion that you came to when you wrote it all up well, the broad conclusion was that um, social media is an incredibly valuable tool and all forms of communication um, to speak to an infinitely large audience and it shouldn't be underestimated when we're trying to spread messages of hope and urgency and environmental advocacy and also the importance of the outdoors and nature for mental health. Um, social media is invaluable for that. I also concluded that people have, you know, there's, there's nothing to say that people care more about nature when it's more sexy or exciting, like uh, big, the big five in Africa or, incredible mountains in the Alps or um, you know wildlife in Canada or New Zealand there's nothing to say that people are more likely to to help the environmental crisis if it looks as good as that um, the resounding comments that I got were oh my gosh I didn't realize how incredible the UK is mm. I didn't realize Cornwall was that beautiful mm. or I didn't realize that we had that on our doorstep what a fantastic adventure to have as part of your masters yeah brilliant i could uh, towards the end i was just like i am so lucky that i got to do this it was a, it was sort of active research and it's it's what i find crazy now is that we've written up um a paper about it for an academic journal mm. um so it's being published and the data was presented by my supervisor at a science communication conference at brown university wow. in the u.s um so to go from something that was almost a selfish endeavor of yes I still want to finish my master's but I want to spend three weeks outside doing it uh, please um, I didn't realize that science could be communicated mm. and it just hammered home to me the importance of the outdoors in perhaps helping with the environmental situation mm. and the importance of humans connecting with that landscape
so that hike did lead to some really exciting things in your career so you now write for outdoors magazines and wildlife magazines um you're the youth ambassador for the wildlife trusts you do public speaking what so uh, what has been the favorite moment from your you know wildlife and conservation career so far um oh that's very tricky i think one of the one of the one of my favorite things that i've done um was uh last march i worked with surrey wildlife trust to run a youth um forum day where basically um getting a group of say i think it was like 50 sixth formers um to come to a reserve and to have a day that was filled with workshops speakers um discussions debates all centered around the environment climate change environmental advocacy um, I did a talk um, and a workshop and then someone else did a, t- uh, a workshop on how to build a campaign, how to write to your MP if you feel concerned about the environment, um, the importance of the outdoors for your mental health. And uh, I think that's such a key age to target young people is right at that school time where there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of demands on their time they probably I mean I felt super conflicted when I was in sixth form about what to do what was expected of me but what did I actually really want to do all those sorts of things so um at the start of the day they were quite nervous and I don't think they really understood what the day was about so um there was kind of a journey there but then at the end of the day just overhearing some of their conversations that they were having about I feel really inspired or I might actually go out and um, set up an eco group or whatever it was or I might try and um, get my mum to buy more vegetables and buy more local food or whatever it is just hearing and feeling that impact amongst intelligent young people was just so inspiring and I think to have just been very loosely involved in that um, and to have been a part of maybe a turning point for them um, was so satisfying and really inspiring I was buzzing the whole drive home um, because I was like, wow, I think if we do more things like this and, and speak to the future generations who are fired up, who are intelligent, who do want to make a difference but perhaps need a little bit more encouragement, it was just kind of like, right, well, what else can we do? Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a highlight. Fantastic. And what I love, um, I've been watching some of the things that you do on Instagram as well on the side of your work, which is these 24-hour bio blitzes. Oh, yeah. Can you explain about those? Um, so that was something I did um, a year or two ago where I was kind of really still buzzing from finishing Sophie's Wild Cornwall and wanted to do something... I where I could still have that similar sense of adventure and thrill um, but it had to be local and it had to not cost me much money and Mm. not cost me much time and I think naturally that's quite relatable for a lot of people so I was like right well what can I do in 24 hours right I can probably I'm very lucky to live in a place where there's lots of varying habitat and environment so why don't we just like film a journey around Devon and see what we can find and then just document it and so I did that Um, and I did it in winter which was actually way more, um, it was way more fun than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I had amazing weather. It was like really frosty, really cold. It was like driving through the night. I went on a frosty walk yeah. in um, the field near my house. Didn't really find anything. I found a tree slug, which was quite cool. <laughs> and then went up to Dartmoor and saw some a uh, couple of birds and some ponies. And again, it was just that dedicating the time outside in a very sort of haphazard, random way. And then it still reminded me of, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky where I live, that I've been to all these places and they're like 15 miles from home, max. 
and the walking through the night was a really a really special one because we don't do that do we mm. we don't go no. outside in the dark yeah. but it's so invigorating because your senses just change so much to to deal with the the lack of light and the and the sounds and stuff and it's very um yeah would highly recommend going for a little walk at night time because obviously you have to be safe and stuff but it's a totally different experience to walking in the day and i i heard a tawny owl which was quite fun oh, it's about 9.30 and I can definitely hear a tawny owl. Actually, a male and a female calling to each other. So the female goes twit and then the male goes too. And then the screeching noise is the noise they make when they're hunting. And that's what I can hear. So yeah, and no, I did that and then people seemed to like that because I was just trying to hammer home of actually you can do all of this and have a nice adventure at home and you don't yeah. need to go abroad. Or I think people assume, and I don't know if it's kind of the media that's told them that or or they just kind of, it's an excuse not to, that being outdoors is expensive and you need to have expensive kit and you need to have a car and you need to um, have lots of time and, you know, X, Y or Z, but actually really don't. You don't need, you know, you can just do it in your trainers, do it in any clothes, um, obviously weather dependent, <laughs> um, but it's just the joy of the freedom of being outside and discovering new things and seeing mm. things perhaps with fresh eyes. Mm. Some of your latest projects then, um, I know that you've been a little bit involved with the research around beavers in Devon. Yes, yeah. So I'm very lucky that the famous River Otter Beaver Trial, um, which is championed by Devon Wildlife Trust and Exeter University, is literally on my doorstep, so two miles from home. It's just been the most incredible project to see. When I was doing my masters, I did a radio project on uh, the beavers when the trial was in very early days, and then now it's just finished. Mm. Because of the success of that trial, beavers are being, I was gonna say installed, like a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> beavers are being introduced um, to loads of areas of the UK. And I think it's been really exciting from you know, all the flooding and the storms that we've had to realise that there is a really sustainable natural solution to help mitigate the effects of the flooding. Um, it's because the beavers build dams, don't they? Yeah, they build the dams, they slow the peak flow rate of the water, um, they help kind of manage the environment in a very unique way that just helps to not only boost biodiversity massively, but by, yeah, by slowing that peak flow rate, it can just reduce the damaging effects of floods so much. And it also increases the soil quality, which increases the absorbency of the soil. So that the reason why lots of the floods um, around the country have been so brown uh, is because it washes all the topsoil off, um, which has all the fertilizers and stuff. Whereas beavers help to improve that and retain the soil retention of, of water and the permeability of it. So yeah, that's been super exciting. And I'm actually writing an article about the beavers for uh, a magazine in due course, which is exciting. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of, I, I, I think now I, I know that if I say something, more people are listening. Um, I try and make sure that everything I say is something good and useful and meaningful um, and not just, I mean, occasionally I say stupid stuff, but, you know, you've got to balance it that. <laughs> is there, I know it's, as you say, it's really hard to have a grand plan of career and I certainly struggle with that question. <laughs> but um, with the work that you're doing now, what, what do you think that you want to do in the next few years? What are, what are the goals? I would love to have the opportunity to continue the work that I'm doing but perhaps with the opportunity of a bigger platform 
just to speak to more people and try and because I know that the work that I've done has inspired people and had positive impact which is incredible and is very humbling and weird um, but uh, if one day I'm able to have a slightly larger platform through which to, to spread messages of environmental advocacy, the benefits of the outdoors, the importance of getting young girls especially out adventuring, pushing themselves on expedition, whatever it is, um, I would love to be able to do that. So yeah, there are some things churning away in the background that might be able to afford me that opportunity, but um, just trying to be a bit more in the moment and keep beavering away, as it were. <laughs> When you have um, a lot of work that is involved in the outdoors, how do you then make sure that you enjoy the outdoors in a non-work way? Oh, that's such a good, such a good one. I really struggle with that. What I've tried to do is set boundaries when I'm outdoors and be like, okay, I'm not going to take the phone. I'm just, I want to go out for a walk because my head's really foggy and I need to clear it. Um, and then if I want to do, say, a walk that will generate some Instagram content for later down the line then I'll do a separate walk for that so I'll try and compartmentalize the walks in the outdoor time and then really what I'm trying to do now is no social media at weekends ah. because weekends is when I see my family and spend time with my friends and it just it's very difficult when you're self-employed to to have clear boundaries and I don't what I really don't want to do is blur the lines um, and start just sort of having no no boundary there. How would you sum up what the outdoors means to your life? The thing is, is that I just cannot imagine my life without it. I think it's just been such an integral element that's been woven into to daily life for me ever since I was little, um, that the idea of it not being there and even the idea of it, um, the quality of the habitats that I've grown up around are decreasing. Um, is scary and it's it's horrible and I think it's just I think I just feel so in touch not in like a spiritual sense but just the fact that I just need it there and I just need to have a little bit of time with it every day it's totally essential and from a mental health point of view as well over the last couple of years I've developed um, or I've become aware that I have anxiety um, alongside many many other people and I think just being more aware of, you know, when I start to get a bit bloated, when my head starts to feel a bit tight, when I feel a bit fizzy, I know that once I get outside, that's the space where it dissipates. Um, and that's the space where I kind of regroup. So from a health point of view, it's, it's totally important. And I think it inspires me massively. I find that if I'm struggling to creatively, if I'm working on a piece of writing or... A video or whatever it is or I'm trying to brainstorm the if I sat if I sit at a table with a big piece of paper and a pen nothing will happen but if I go outside and I get off social media for a few days and I just kind of return to what is important to me I know that the ideas will come and they always do it is a, it is an emotional thing um and I'm very sort of protective of it like a sibling would be, like an elder sibling. Older sibling would be protective of the younger sibling. Or, you know, It's a relationship that we all have, but I think some have it more than others. But we all have the ability to rekindle that relationship. And I think now more than ever, it's so important for us to find out what the environment means to us. Um, and it will be a different, be a different thing for, for everybody. 
um, but for me it's just you know as essential as water each day I just need a little dose of it every day Sophie, who are the three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures? Um, well, I'm going to have to say my parents, um, both my mum and my dad, um, when they made the decision to move um, to England from America, it was for the reason that they wanted us to have a wild childhood that uh, had access to the outdoors and that we could go and have adventures in. And my dad especially is the kind of person where it's blowing a gale, it's horizontal rain, it's freezing, but he will be up on the moors of Dartmoor having the best time, um, pushing himself. Uh, he's, you know, both parents are just such an inspiration. All our holidays were camping, very low key, um, climbing mountains and bivvying. And whenever other people didn't want to go outdoors was when they wanted to go outdoors. Yeah. So, you know, bad weather doesn't really exist for us it's just you know a change um, and then the third person is uh, I'm very lucky to call her a friend is Cal Major who is paddleboarder environmental advocate extraordinaire um, I came across her as I was planning my um, Cornwall hike and I just thought she was incredible and her passion is unwavering and uh, unparalleled for the environment and why she's doing it and she has such purpose and she's so modest and humble um, and yet she can do these incredible extraordinary feats of endurance um, for the environment so she paddleboarded from Land's End to John O'Groats wow. last year or the year before oh my goodness. and then also her first expedition I think was paddling around or the length of Cornwall yeah she's just she's just incredible she's a heroine and so yeah i drew massive inspiration from cal wow do you think that um her big challenges are going to make you do another another big hike in the future or anything like that probably um the thing is when you do something like this it always gives you an itch to do another so i am planning something with my friend hannah with the wildlife trust this summer to do another charity fundraising thing but i am also itching to do another solo thing but i think i might keep it quite local um there's lots of routes around dartmoor that take sort of four or five days and there's just something about putting a backpack on and your boots and just going um and to have you know your goals of the day just to get to where you need to sleep eat and go to bed and do it again and there's just something about the simplicity of living out of a rucksack as well that is i think really important to to refresh yourself with in these busy busy times <laughs> Now we move on to the tips, Sophie. So for people who are um, interested in working in conservation or um, helping protect the environment like you, um, what tips would you have for them? One of the first things that I would tell someone is to have a look at your local wildlife trust um, and join it. 
the Wildlife Trust are an amazing charity that really help foster people's connection with the natural world, but in a very approachable way. Um, they have lots of events going on, be it bug hunting to snorkeling safaris, depending on where you live. Um, they have really interesting lectures by local experts. They also have work parties where you go and help, um, you know, tend and maintain a nature reserve for a day with amazing people. So I think if you want to meet like-minded people and help kind of channel that inspiration or that curiosity, joining your local wildlife trust as a volunteer or even just as a member is a great way to kind of open that door. And if people are interested in identifying nature a bit more um, thoroughly when they're out on their hikes or if they want to find out, um, you know, what, what bird song is that? Are there any resources that you've found useful that people could use for that? Yeah, definitely. So um, again, <laughs> to plug the Wildlife Trust again, they have an app um, called the Wildlife Trust app and it's cool it has a species finder section on it so what it has is lo it has lots of photos of the common species that you'd see in different habitats and different areas of the uk um, it shows you what to look out for how to find them and then it has a little a bio about them so you can learn a bit on the fly and when i was doing mm. my walk that was so valuable if yeah. i thought oh this is this butterfly let me just double check and it actually was a different butterfly and i was like well good thing i didn't tell the world it was <laughs> butterfly number one um also there is another app called the iNaturalist app that's even better if you want to go even more back to basics and it allows you to just take a photo of what you're looking at and then it identifies it for you oh, amazing. and it gives you a little bit of a bio about it as well so apps are really good um so you know by all means take your phone with you on a walk because it can be super helpful um, again, the RSPB, the Wildlife Trust, um, BBC Wildlife magazine has lots of blogs on different species as well. So say if you've seen a slow worm and you think that's really cool, I want to learn more about it, uh, you can just type it into Google or into the RSPB and it will tell you all about it. So yeah, there's a lot of resources that I think people don't realise mm. that can help kind of, again, feed that curiosity. So it just helps solidify the things. And once you see an animal in its wild habitat, there's something really special about that. You don't get that feeling in a zoo. Or, you know in an aquarium so it kind of makes all makes all um, make a bit more sense mm, that i natural stuff sounds fantastic oh it's amazing yeah I use it all the time. i'm gonna use that <laughs> um and also what what tips do you have for getting outdoors more my main advice is just don't overthink it as i was saying earlier we all like to come up with excuses as to why not uh but i think we should definitely just say why not because you know what what is so important that you can't just go outside for 10 minutes i'd start with just exploring what's around you and on your local doorstep um one of the things again why my parents have inspired me so much is we didn't go abroad after we came to england until we were like teenagers because they were like hang on we live on this amazing island mm. with amazing environments um let's explore it first before we go explore other other countries um, and we are very, very lucky that, you know, from any point in the UK, you're only 70 miles from the sea and you can get to Scotland within a day, give or take. So I would just get to know your, your home patch, your local patch, whether it's a city um, or, you know, in the middle of nowhere, there's always going to be something to see. And it is quite satisfying and liberating to, to discover something that you didn't know before about where you live. Um, because I think we all like to know that I, I like to think that I know Devon really, really well, but I'm always like, oh, I didn't know that was there. You know, I clearly don't know everything. Um, and it's quite nice to be reminded of that.
Oh, fantastic. And I've also loved, you know, those 24-hour Bible lists. I think that's a great, that, a great sort of inadvertent tip that you talked about earlier because just going out and exploring for 24 hours on your doorstep. Yeah, brilliant. and it only takes up a day. Yeah. And then you feel really good at the end. I'm, you know, a bit tired, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just do something. It's just shaking up the norm, doing yeah. something different. And yeah. again, you know, going for a walk at a different time of day, really early in the morning or after dinner when it mm. gets dark, as long as you've got you know the right kit and you you know someone knows where you are it's so exciting yeah um and it kind of gives you that thrill and you want to do it again and oh. again and again <laughs> oh sophie this has been so much fun oh, thank, thank you, you very so much. much and we've battled very strange weather to be honest it was yes. been really sunny and then we had a bit of rain and um and then we had lots of dogs lots of dogs so you, you you've been put through quite a challenging recording <laughs> but um it's been it's, brilliant it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you Thanks for listening to Sophie's episode. You can see photos of Sophie on her 300 mile hike and other adventures on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at The Outdoors Fix. You'll also find her on Instagram at Sophie Pavs. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to make sure you get all the episodes when they come out and please rate and review the podcast to help other people find it. You might also like to check out the dozens of other episodes we've published since the podcast started. The Outdoors Fix is proudly supported by Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports, stores nationwide and online offering everything you need to equip you for the best outdoors experience. Now, it's that time to take a short moment to relax and listen to some sounds from nature recorded by some of you. I wasn't able to record any clips for this series while in lockdown in noisy London, so more than 35 of you came to my rescue. In this episode, we're hearing nature sounds recorded by Deb Owens in Wales, Joe Mosley in Yorkshire, and Andrew Dobb in Nottinghamshire.